For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, we'll hear about two Tucsonans who each chose different and unconventional journeys of healing to overcome their physical and emotional pain. The next generation of filmmakers return in the UA Graduate Student Film Showcase, I Dream in Widescreen. Chris DeShiel has some recommendations. And listen to an example of what the next generation of broadcasters is creating as students between 5th and 12th grade compete for recognition in the NPR Podcast Challenge. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. In 1997, while she was a student at the U of A, Serena Rana was struck by a car. The accident led to a chronic pain condition and a slow recovery. But she eventually began to find some comfort and healing by spending time outdoors. Rana started hiking, and the discoveries she made along the way would have a profound impact on her life. Now an experienced long-distance hiker and a public speaker, Rana has written a guide called Best Day Hikes on the Arizona National Scenic Trail. This was after she'd completed that trail's entire 800-mile journey herself. She did it twice. Here's Tony Paniagua with an interview. Serena, Rana, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. Serena, I'm sure a lot of people may have heard about the Arizona National Scenic Trail by now, but just in case there are listeners who have never heard of this humongous path that goes from Mexico to the Utah border, what would you like to tell them about it? Well, we have a real opportunity and resource here in Arizona with the Arizona National Scenic Trail. Like you said, it stretches 800 miles from Mexico to Utah, and it was designated a National Scenic Trail in 2009 and connected across the state on December 16, 2011, up by the Gila River. It traverses three national parks, one state park, six wilderness areas, four national forests, 33 gateway communities, and nine major mountain ranges. And it's the only national scenic trail in the U.S. that costs one of the seven natural wonders of the world, the Grand Canyon. It was developed by a Flagstaff math teacher named Dale Shewalter, who first hiked the path in 1985. And in 2008-2009, I section hiked the trail to raise awareness for fibromyalgia. But while I was doing that, I was also helping to build the trail because it wasn't complete yet. And so that's how I became involved with it. And I hiked over a period of 15 months that first time, going out and doing a section, coming back and working, going out and doing a section. And it was such a profound experience. I always say that the Serena that started the trail is totally different from the one that completed it because that experience, not only did I get to see the amazing scenery and, you know, feel that sense of accomplishment, but it gave me the, the courage and, you know, the trust in myself to do things that I previously had thought impossible. When did you decide, you know what, I really ought to put something together? Was it during your first, second trip or perhaps later on in life? When I section hiked, I completed it in May 2009, and I was recently cleaning out some folders 
And I actually found a document from just two weeks after my section hike was finished, and it said guidebook. And it actually had a lot of the things that made it into the book. So this is something that has been an idea for a very long time. I think that, you know, both I had to gain the experience of the trail. Also, the trail needed to be completed. So we both needed to grow up a bit before this uh, book came out. Also, I think now that people are learning more about the trail, that's the biggest question is how can I get out there and experience it for myself? And you know, especially with 800 miles, it's tough to figure out which pieces are good and, you know, where to go and where to see the best thing. And so this is what my goal with the book was, is to take somebody that maybe has never even hiked before and give them the tools and information that they need to have a fun and safe time on the Arizona Trail. One of the things I really enjoyed about your book is that it is categorized in such a way that basically anybody with an interest in the outdoors can find something that they might like. For example, bird watching, hardest hikes, hikes for kids. And you also acknowledge the ancestral lands of the previous peoples that lived and continue to inhabit this region. Yes, that was very important to me, um, the ancestral lands piece of it. I worked with Hopi archaeologists. Uh, an artist, Lyle Bolenqua, and he contributed an essay, and it's called An Ancient Trail Through Ancestral Lands. And then, like you said, each of the hikes has information about the tribes that are associated with that particular area. Um, as far as breaking them down into different categories, I just think that it makes the book so much more user-friendly. You mentioned H-Y-O-H. What is that all about? H-Y-O-H is hike your own hike. And what that says is that you decide what's enjoyable for you. Um, and that could range from, you know, a couple mile jaunt or a picnic in the park to a 20 mile day with no breaks. And so it's just a matter of, you know, finding your own enjoyment and not feeling like you have to live up to some particular hiking standard. Just do what you enjoy. Serena, as you know, during the past year, because of the COVID pandemic, the outdoors have gained a lot more traction, a lot more interest, not only here in Arizona, but throughout the world. So the Arizona Trail could provide a fantastic opportunity for people to get out there away from it all, if you will, right? Absolutely. And not only does it provide that opportunity for the people that are hiking the trail, it provides a really great opportunity for businesses in Arizona to take advantage of the economic benefits that come with increased tourism and travel. Because even in the Tucson area, there's hikes that you can do up on Mount Lemmon on the Arizona Trail that you could do in the middle of the summer. And hikes down in the valley, you know, in the, the lower desert that you can do in the winter and the spring. And finally, any more books in the foreseeable future? Has anybody contacted you about doing another, maybe something about the Grand Canyon or something else? Actually, they have. I was approached by Mountaineers Books, and I will be writing my next book is going to be Urban Hikes Tucson, and it will focus on about an hour's radius of the Tucson area and include trails as well as our amazing loop system and some other municipal parks as well. So it will be a mix of backcountry hiking and city parks as well as our urban loop. So that accident in 1997 truly did change your life. Absolutely. And, you know, at the time I thought it was all bad. 
I was very depressed for a long time before I started hiking and hiking really gave me my life back and I will be forever grateful. Serena Rana, thank you very much for taking the time with us and good luck on the book and uh, future projects. Thanks so much, Tony. Serena Rana's book was created in partnership with the Arizona Office of Tourism. There's a link for information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. If you've driven on North Oracle Road in the past few months, you may have seen The Dancing Man. His name is Rex Wilkins, and he's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Arizona. To find out why he chooses this unique form of self-expression, radio producer Sarah Ruth Bates talked to Wilkins and created this story. Please be aware it does contain a discussion of what it's like to have suicidal thoughts. Most days, Rex Wilkins runs five miles and loops down Oracle. Most runners prefer quiet streets, but Wilkins likes Oracle because of the traffic. He doesn't just run, he dances where people can see him. Welcome back. You may have seen his moves, or at least a video. The Dancing Man is a familiar face on the north side, where he's been spreading smiles for months now. KOLD News 13's... Wilkins dances for joy, and he dances to escape depression. He and his wife moved to Tucson two years ago for his Ph.D. They had just gotten married, they didn't know anyone in town, and he was studying violence at the border. Um, So this is like really heavy stuff. As a result, I have often struggled with um, depression and feeling sad about the state of affairs in the world ever since I started my Ph.D. program back in 2018. For months, Wilkins sank deeper and deeper into depression. And it definitely took a toll on uh, our, our marriage. It took a toll on my capacity to feel good about myself. And back in the fall of 2019, I uh, decided I needed to start doing something or else I was going to go down on a very, very dark path. And so one of the things that I decided I needed to do was find an outlet. And that was running. It wasn't easy. And at first, (laughs) I did not run very fast. I did not run very long. He made himself keep going anyway. Day by day, week by week, Wilkins got stronger. The running helped. But that didn't mean everything started going well. In fact, things got worse uh, at first. I uh, was running about a mile a mile and a half when I started having these thoughts and these feelings of like, why am I doing this? What is the point of it? And I was feeling very uh, upset with myself, like I'm just running in circles. I literally was running in circles because I ran around the, the perimeter of my apartment complex at the time. He tried to resist those thoughts, but it got more and more difficult. He was taking classes at the time, and after class, he often walked from campus to his car. I started noticing how a lot of cars would go by really fast on uh, Mountain Avenue, I think it is. And I started thinking, wow, you know, 
if I wanted to end it, and if I wanted to just be done with this, I could make it look like an accident. And then I wouldn't have to deal with uh, feeling this way anymore. He told his wife about the thoughts he'd been having and started seeing a therapist. Slowly, he started to feel better. This was last spring. We all know what happened next. Then the pandemic hit. And the amount of free time that I all of a sudden had because I was no longer commuting for an hour or so meant that I could spend a little bit more time running. Wilkins started running further and on busier streets. He often ran down North Oracle. And then one day I was just like, you know what, I'm going to like do a little jig, you know, so here I am like doing the, the jump on it, jump on it, you know, and, and like, you know, I'm just dancing like a fool and it just felt great. Strangers have noticed Wilkins and responded to him. Drivers wave. Videos of his moves have gotten thousands of likes on Facebook. He gets messages from strangers all the time. At his lowest point, passing cars made him think about ending his life. Now each car offers a potential moment of human connection. His dancing helped one woman rekindle her love of rollerblading. And she used to rollerblade when she was a kid. And she said, you know, I went out into a parking lot here over by the Fry's grocery store, and I, I looked probably like a total idiot, but I did it and I loved it. And I just thought, that is what it's all about, right? The helping people feel like they can be vulnerable, they don't have to feel afraid to be themselves, and that they can do something that will bring them just a small bit of joy in a very dark time. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Sarah Ruth Bates. Contributor Sarah Ruth Bates is an MFA candidate in nonfiction at the University of Arizona, where she edits the Sonora Review and teaches composition. Last year, the pandemic caused the 2020 I Dream in Widescreen Student Film Showcase to be delayed until August, when it became an online event. Despite the challenges, it was a record-setting year for the filmmakers emerging from the UA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Their work has since been recognized by more than a dozen national and international festivals and awards. This year's showcase has arrived on time, and next film essayist Chris DeShiel takes a closer look. I Dream in Widescreen is the title of an annual presentation of student thesis films from the University of Arizona School of Theater, Film, and Television. This year, it's showing at the Cactus Drive-In on May 8th at 7 p.m., a free event. It will also be streaming online from May 8th through May 22nd at loftcinema.org. These are short films, ranging from about four and a half to a little over 12 and a half minutes long. I'll provide a glimpse of four of them. You're living out of your car, for Christ's sake. Shy, we're practically family. We're worried about you. Trish! I've been living here for months, and you knew that, but you never checked in on me, asked if I needed a place to crash or how I'm doing, and then you come out of nowhere asking me to go to this protest with you. How is that supposed to make me feel? And then your dad acting like I'm some charity case handing me a hundred bucks like that's gonna fix everything. I thought you'd be grateful for the extra cash. 
I thought you'd be proud of me for going to this program. Well, I'm not. One Way Mirror, directed by Mackenzie Jaguer and written by Jaguer and Vaughn Suit, tackles a thorny subject with grace and nuance. A young African-American woman picks up a white friend, more of an acquaintance really, to go to a Black Lives Matter demonstration together. The white woman's father comes out to the car, acting really friendly, and hands the black woman a $100 bill. She doesn't want it, but he insists. This later becomes an issue between the two women. As it turns out, the black woman is homeless and has been living in her car, and the father had learned this. But she is offended at being treated like a charity case, while her friend is surprised and bothered that she's not grateful. It's an interesting take on the familiar theme of white liberals not understanding their own privilege. In this case, it's not that the help isn't needed, but the offering of the help, right off the bat, without establishing a genuine interaction, comes off as assuming an intimacy that is unearned. Jaguer conveys all this by the simplest means, and it's thought-provoking without being pedantic. So? She's... She see the doctor says she doesn't have much time. I actually came back from visiting her, you know. I was trying to talk to her, but she was having trouble breathing. Look, that it. I, I think you should visit her just one last time. Please? That it. Hey, that is that. What? Did you even hear what I said? Yeah. And? I can. I'm busy today. Busy with what? Haciendo tortillas. Whatever crap you two have going on, you have to drop it. Por el amor de Dios, Teresa, ves me ganas de no más. I'm sorry, it's just... Just think about it, okay? The theme of mothers and daughters and their problems is addressed in three of the films. One of them being En la Cuna de Mi Madre by Pablo Perez, in which a middle-aged woman is asked by her brother to go check on their mom. She reluctantly goes, and we eventually discover that there was a falling out many years earlier that wounded their relationship. Perez conveys the story through the woman's flashbacks as she walks through her mother's home, in which she sees herself as a child and then as a teenager, and these include memories of love and tenderness. This tapestry of past events brings an awareness that causes her to acknowledge her true feelings. The film remains subtle and understated. Tibanusu is an intriguing music video by two brothers, Atreo and Jonathan Hazenstab. Using some impressive special effects, they show us an astronaut walking towards a group of spaceships. Cut to a young man driving to a downtown Tucson studio. He's an actor in a film where he puts on an astronaut suit and is shown flying through space in a series of awesome science fiction-style visuals. Later, the young man is at home with his partner and young daughter, but apparently part of him is still in outer space, as if two parts of his personality were striving to combine into one. I like how meanings are hinted at rather than directly explained here. With a little research, I discovered that Tibanusu is Japanese for letting go. For most other crews, the artist only knows the director on set. For us, they get to know the entire team. Most come from out of town and get a day or so to meet everybody before heading off to set. 
lot of the time, these artists turn into family and end up spending a lot of time at our house. We work with a lot of younger and newer artists and like to keep the energy up while we're shooting. Whether it's singing or dancing with the artists or hyping up people in the crew, it's the best way to keep the energy moving. It's definitely the most unconventional part of our set, but it works. After the set, everything else is created in the editing room. When it comes to visual effects, we try to get as crazy and inventive as we can. Dropouts, an overcast documentary by Hassan Taleb and Tyler McAvilly, is about a group of artists in Tucson who make music videos for a YouTube channel called Overcast, which from a humble beginning has gotten to almost 65,000 subscribers. The directors have made this film in an entertaining style that mirrors the vision of its subjects. They use quick, inventive cutting with many diverse shots, bold graphics, often funny snippets of conversation, glimpses of the artists at work, along with music and interview excerpts. And this style just carries the audience along with it, expertly evoking the sense of fun and excitement, along with the hard work and long hours that go into being overcast. I Dream in Widescreen features 14 films in all. It was a treat for me to watch these young filmmakers show their stuff. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Chris DeShield. The in-person screening occurs this Saturday, May 8th, just after sunset at the Cactus Carpool Cinema on South Wilmont Road. The films will also stream online from May 8th through the 22nd at loftcinema.org. Either way, they're all free to watch. Who will be the voices of the future? The NPR Podcast Challenge is a nationwide talent search for students between 5th and 12th grades. Earlier this year, these aspiring podcasters were invited to create their own audio stories from the ground up, based on any topic they chose. Their teachers submitted the stories to NPR, and the finalists will be announced later this month. Our first sample comes from the Catalina Foothills School District. Hi, I'm Hayi, and I have a question to ask you. Have you been craving something spicy, or rather something healthy? Then feast your eyes on kimchi. Kimchi is a traditional Korean food, served in almost every Korean dish. It can sometimes be called the staple of Korean food for how much Koreans eat it at times. Kimchi dates back to the 1st century BCE and 7th century CE. It is believed to originate from the Shila dynasty in Korea at the time. It is preserved and fermented in jars for up to 1-3 to three years. This made kimchi perfect because this allowed kimchi to be eaten all year round, no matter what time of day it was. Kimchi also has many health benefits, such as represented by the many minerals and vitamins in kimchi. These vitamins and minerals consider vitamin B6, vitamin K, vitamin C, iron, folate, and much more. Kimchi can also aid in weight loss. It is made up of lots of fiber so you feel full when you're not actually eating that much, helping you eat less, resulting in weight loss. Many studies have also been showing that fermented foods, such as kimchi, help strengthen immune systems and guts. The garlic found in kimchi also helps your body by lowering cholesterol and lower cardiovascular disease. By now, you may be amazed by kimchi and want to know what's in it. Cabbage or radish? Some common seasonings include brine, spices, scallions, ginger, garlic, and more. Of course, these are all interchangeable, 
with what you want to put in your kimchi if you are making one. So next time you want to eat something healthy and spicy, think about kimchi as something you want to eat. The next sample from the NPR podcast challenge comes from the Tucson Unified School District. It's an excerpt recorded last February with a pair of co-hosts who I think show some great chemistry. Hey everyone, it's Camila and I'm a sophomore at Pueblo. I'm Raimundo and I'm a sophomore at Pueblo High School. And today we'll be going over the latest news. Did you hear about that scientists say um, COVID's going to last until 2024? Man, a year after we graduate. Oh yeah, a year after we graduate. That's a long time. Imagine it's almost, it's been a year. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a year. And it's felt forever, like forever. And we're in 2021. That's three more years. That's going to suck. Oh my gosh. There's so many people that have to get the vaccine. There's, I don't think there'll ever be something this big, honestly. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know if people are going to That's scary. Do you really think about it? Three more years, just hand sanitizer and mask. You can't even do anything. I know. I can't with this. I'm honestly, I'm getting a little tired of it, but it's not like I'm. we're going to go out just because. Let me get the vaccine first. All the teachers got the vaccine. Were they right. getting it or they already got it? I have a feeling that if they get enough vaccines. If anybody is going to school, I feel like they're going to have to require it. We're slowly coming back, though, because they canceled sports, and now sports are coming back slowly. Like We just started practicing. And then basketball is doing its thing where you have to wear a face mask, but we're slowly coming back to it. But they ruined senior year last year. Who knows for our graduation? I hope not. I haven't been doing school this long just not to get a graduation. It sucks. It does. Okay, anyways, that's our show. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good day. Yep. Hopefully you guys have a good rest of your day. That was just a sample of the podcast Hot Topic, recorded in February and submitted to the NPR Podcast Challenge by students from Sarah Wilson's sophomore class at Pueblo High School. Tune in next week to hear some more student podcasts. And thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Yasmin Acosta. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.